Today we're starting a series for a few weeks through uh, the letter of Jude. And the letter of Jude, which is the easiest way to get to Jude, is to go to Revelation and then to flip back one. It's uh, very short, 25 verses. Um, Jude chapter... Jude. So if you want to just go to Jude, uh, turn in your Bibles uh, to Jude. I'm going to read the first four verses this morning. It says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the gift of life. Lord, thanks for gathering us together at the beginning of a week. Lord, just thanks for how you work in people's lives. God, Lord, thanks for this letter of Jude. And Lord, I pray that you would just open our eyes to it, that you would encourage us this morning with it as we prepare for communion. You just strengthen us in the Holy Spirit. You would just remove every obstacle, and you strengthen our faith. Lord, thanks for how you do care for us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our, my heart, of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. She was concerned, and, but, but very confident. 11-year-old Grace Bedell, 159 years ago this month, wrote a short little letter to Abraham Lincoln. She had seen a picture of him that her dad had, and he was about a couple months before the election. She looked at it, and he had his big forehead, tall guy, no beard. And she looked at that picture, and she said, uh, that, 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 that's not right. So she sat down as an 11-year-old girl, wrote Abraham Lincoln a little a letter, and said, um, hey, uh, you need, I think you should grow a beard. Uh, all the ladies like beards uh, in this letter. And she sent it off to Abraham Lincoln. A month later, Abraham Lincoln had a full beard. And the iconic hipster beard uh, that is Abraham Lincoln came. This little letter, this little letter by Grace Bedell, with, was, was a letter from a little girl that had absolute concern and, and confidence that it could be done. It's the same with the little letter of Jude. It's a, little, it's a letter, it's a book of the Bible, but it's a little letter, and it, it, it's, it's a book about concern, but with confidence. The concern is that there's people who have crept into the church unnoticed who are, who are wanting to pull people away from the faith, but it's filled with confidence. It's, it's a unique, quirky little letter almost. If you haven't read Jude in a while, there's a lot of stuff that are, can be difficult to understand as you read it. But for Abraham Lincoln, this little letter that he got um, when, right before he won the presidency, he 
grew his beard out. He won the election. It led to the, proclam- the, led to the Emancipation Proclamation. It went on leading to him to be on the, the lowest denomination of our money. Uh, so maybe the beard wasn't all that good for him, but he had this beard. He had this concern. He had this confidence. He accomplished it. And we don't know why Grace Bedell's letter motivated Abraham Lincoln, but it did. And he never had a beard without it again. What we do need to know is that this letter to Jude, it should motivate the church. It should motivate you because it exposes false teaching and it presses for growth in the faith and it warns about the danger of falling away from the truth of the gospel. And it's a letter that just gives hope. And this morning, right before we take communion, I just want to introduce us to it. We're just going to look at the first two verses and see how a little letter can lead us to unbelievably great hope. And the way we're going to see it this morning is that we're going to see the credentials of the author. We're going to see the confidence of the audience and the calculations of assurance. First of all, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Jude. He's a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Who's, who's, who is this guy, Jude? Who, who is he? His name actually would be Judah, very common name. And, and I mean, there's, there's, all kinds of, there's all kinds of Judas and Judes uh, running around early Palestine in those days. It was the, the patriarchal name of the Old Testament. And so probably shortened it to, to Jude because there was a very famous other Judas Iscariot around the church. And it says, though, that he is Judah, servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. And James is the one who wrote the book of James. He was the leader of the early church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. James the Great, he, James led the church. He was the influential one in Acts 15 of the Jerusalem council. He was that, and James, the Bible says, is also the half-brother of Jesus, which also makes, the Bible says, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 13, it talks about that. It's how, wasn't there's Jude, wasn't there the brothers of Jesus, James and Judas? He's probably Jesus's younger half-brother. Mary and Joseph had many children after Jesus. They had sons, they had daughters and sons, the Bible says. And as far as we know, Jude, this is how he represents himself. And why did he say this? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Why, why is that how he introduced his letter, partly because this was a mark of just, this is, there's some authority to this. He's saying, I'm connected to the leader of the early church, James. So what I have to say to the church, there, there is some, some authority to what he was having to say, but it, but it also says, there's, there's not just this authority, so we should listen to it, but there was this acknowledgement of his past and his presence is James. He starts with James, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He, he says Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ or a slave of Christ. What this says for us and what it should say to you is that Jude had, he had a past. Jesus' brothers, and they didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God grow, growing up. I mean, they, they didn't believe it. In Mark chapter 6, there's... This amazing scene where Jesus, his family hears what was going on in Jesus' situation. They think he's lost his mind. 
And they, they, his brothers and sisters, they come to the house where he's at, and he says, they, they, came, to, they came to get him. They think he's lost. They think he's just flipped out about these, saying he's the son of God. And they come to him, and Jesus says, they, the, the people knock at the door and say, hey, hey your, your family's here. And Jesus says to them, Who, who's my family? My, my family, my brothers and, brothers and sisters are, are with me here. It was this insult. They, they, they did not accept Jesus to be the son of God. Think about that. Jesus, who was totally perfect, lived this perfect life in front of these real people. They grew up with him, and they did not believe that he was the Son of God until after his resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. It says Jesus appeared to 500 people, and one of the people that he appeared to was James, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. And maybe James then went to Jude and said no. Our brother really is the Son of God. He really was Jesus. And James believed. And it's very humbling how he starts this. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. He's, he's a slave. He's one who's given up his rights. He, he, he had a past he didn't, where he didn't believe. He found out who Jesus was, and he did believe. And he, and he calls his brother his Lord. And he doesn't call attention to that. I mean, most people would have written this and said, uh, hey, I'm Jude, the brother of Jesus. I mean, this is, you know who I am? You need to listen to me. But he doesn't do that. He comes across with saying, hey, there's some authority to what I'm saying because I'm the brother of James, the leader of the church. So there's some authority. But I'm coming to you, first of all, in great humility. I'm just a servant, just like you are. I'm just a nobody who found Jesus Christ, even though I grew up with him and I didn't believe. Can you imagine? He, he didn't believe. Which should say one thing to us. There's a saying that people use and they quote Augustine, or I believe it says, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. First of all, he probably never said that because I wasn't first quoted until about 1990. That got started to toss out. But Christians have latched on to that. You know, hey, I just, need to, I just need to go to work, and I just need to live a certain way, and if I, if I smile really nice, or if I'm really good, and I'm kind, then people will see Jesus in me, and then, 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 they'll, then they'll talk to me, and, and then, I, then I'll know it's okay for me to share the gospel. That's not true. Because even Jesus, with all his life, he, he grew up with his brothers. He lived with them. They watched him. They, 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 they were around him all the time, and they still did not believe. It wasn't just based on Jesus was nice, Jesus was good, Jesus was kind, and they still didn't believe who he was. It, that we need to let people hear the gospel. We need, to, we need to let people know. You need to open our mouths and speak it and share it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But James was no... Jude... Was just, was just like us. He was just a guy who grew up and lived. And he came to see Jesus. And he came to him, his, he saw who he was. And he was, he was moved by the fact that his brother was the son of God who, who loved him and died on the cross for his sins. And he believed. And then he accepted that. And then he had his life totally transformed because of that. 
and he realized that he could be useful. I mean, could you imagine? These guys thought Jesus was insane, it says in Mark. And how they must have talked about him when they left there. And they went back, and can you believe this? He's, he's embarrassing our family. All these things that they must have thought and said about Jesus. But then after he was transformed, Jude didn't walk around the rest of his life saying, I, I just can't be used by God. I blew it. There's nothing good that I can do. He didn't do that. He accepted the, God's usefulness. And, and he wrote this book. Listen, there is nobody in this room that is beyond the reach of God's grace. There's nothing that you have done in your past or your present now where you say, well, God can't use me anymore. I, I've, I've blown it. it. It's amazing what can happen when someone gives their life completely over to Jesus Christ and desires to be completely devoted to him. That was Jude. He was this anti-Jesus guy who was transformed to say that his own brother was God. That takes a lot of humbling when you think of your siblings to look up and say, now I'm convinced that you're the son of God. I'm going to call myself a slave. I'm going to give up my rights. There's a lot of talk about rights in our culture. A lot of talk about rights on social media. A lot of talk about rights and rights and what we deserve and what we can get. And, and Jude starts right out to us and says, Jude, he's a servant. He's, a, he's given up his rights to Jesus Christ. He has totally devoted himself over to Jesus Christ and God's using him. His sin wasn't held against him. Have you done that? That's the author, this half-brother of Jesus. And, and he didn't want to write this letter. The letter that Jude wanted to write was, was just about the common salvation that we had, but there's this problem. So there's this great concern that he has for the church, and he knows there's a lot of situations that are going to be happening to them. So he says that he writes this letter, but there's this absolute confidence that he has for the audience as well. He says, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept in Jesus Christ. This letter, it was written to a particular group of people. There, there was a group of people who were in a real situation many years ago where people had crept into the church and were, were, were saying things that aren't true, which we'll look at in a couple next week. But it was also written to those. It doesn't say to those who were in Ephesus or Philippi. It just says to those. And it gives a description of who those are. And it gives us confidence of who this audience is. It's to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept in Jesus Christ. It's written to true believers. It's written to Christians. Jude gives a description and a characterization of a Christian and what one is and what you can know if you are or not so you can have confidence. Because what he's calling them to and what we're being called to is in this intense battle. He says, contend for the faith. Because some of them, if you read the rest of Jude towards the end, some, snatching some out of the fire because some will be consumed by this. 
Some will be consumed by the, the lies that are being spread around. So he, he gives this unbelievable confidence to those who are called. This is what a Christian is. It's one who's called, beloved in God, and kept for Jesus Christ. One who is called. This is what a Christian is. It's, it's someone who's called by God. Romans 1 talks about this. First Peter 2 talks about this. Ephesians 1 talks about this. Where we are the called of God. God does this. God's the initiator in this. God's the one that pursues you. Friday night, I was out a little bit later to go on an errand. I'm driving through Salmonac, and I had a direction that I wanted to go. I had a place I needed to be at a certain time. I was not speeding. And I'm driving, I go past, I move past a police officer. All of a sudden, this police officer's lights turn on, and he pulls out right in front of me and starts to follow me. He called me. It, it wasn't like I was going to say to myself, hey, I, I want to I go pull off into the high school parking lot in Salmonac for a few minutes and sit here. It, it wasn't my idea. He summons me. He turned his lights on, and he pursued me and pulled me over for the fact that my license plate light was out, which is a uh, verbal warning. Um, but it wasn't my idea. But this is what he did. This is what this means. When it says, it says that God called, a person in faith is, it's called by God. God's the one that initiated your salvation. If you are in Christ, God was the one that was calling you. You didn't see yourself, you aren't smarter than anybody else. You didn't look ahead of everybody else and say, that's what I want. The Bible says we are deceived in our sin. We're separated by our sin. We're in darkness. We're blinded. Our hearts are deceitful. We would not, left to ourselves, choose God. We were rebels. But God called us. He initiated it. He summoned us. And he pursued us. And Ephesians 1, 3-4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This should give you unbelievably great confidence if you're in Christ. God wanted you personally. He pursued you. He initiated it, and he came after you, and he pursued you. Not only did he pursue you, he says he's, they are, a Christian is beloved, or they are committed to by God. They are kept, they're beloved, and they're called. They're committed to by God. They're beloved in God the Father, it says. Yesterday we had our men's breakfast in the morning and we're just getting ready to check out and Tim Campbell was there and someone asked him what he was doing today and he said that he was going to be taking Jack out to the pumpkin patch um, and one of the guys said uh, you might need to pace yourself that kid's going to be spoiled uh, in, in, in a little bit but that's a grandfather who loves his grandson he's beloved by his grandson by his grandfather and it's an experiential kind of love. This is what a Christian is. This is what you are. You've been, if you're a Christian, you've been called by God. You were heading one way. He initiated it. He turned the lights on. He pursued you. Gave you the gift of faith. You turned. And when you turned, 
You entered into this unbelievable love of God that's overwhelming. It's to be experienced, not just in your head. It's to be felt. It's to be enjoyed like a grandfather enjoying his grandchild. And it's continually, and it should overwhelm you. It's how deep the Father's love for us that God would do that for you. it's, It's the gospel. It's to be enjoyed. You are committed to by God, and you have been kept by God. This gives us confidence. It says we are kept for Jesus Christ, which means there's just this perseverance for us and there's this purpose for us. It's, it's emphasizing that we are in a very secure state even when things around us are very insecure. But if we're in Christ, we're very secure. And someone said at any moment, Satan might snatch us a hundred times over in his ready clutches. Were we not safe in the protection of Christ? Think about your life. Think about all the times where you could have walked away from faith, walked away from Jesus Christ, and all the times thinking that you were the one doing this. And all along, you have been being carried along by God. You've been kept for a purpose. You've been kept for Jesus Christ. We need to then reject. There's responsibility out for us. It says in the end of verse of 21 of Jude, it says, it's not that you just do nothing with that. It's not that you just are called by God, God loves you experientially, and then God just keeps you, and you have no responsibility in that. That's not, that's not what it says, because at the end of Jude 21, it says, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have responsibility. Your responsibility, if you see yourself as called by God and are, 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 are unbelievably amazed by the gospel, and then realize that I am called by the God of the universe who loves me, like a grandfather who's just absolutely in love with his grandson and wants me to experience that kind of love with him. And then he's going to keep me through it. My responsibility and your responsibility is to just reject evil and false teaching and search the truth and rejoice in the eternal goodness that God has for us. What Jude is talking about, he references the Old Testament a lot. He references, this is how God talked about his people in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 42, God talked about how he loved the people of God. He, he called them. He was, they, were, they were loved by God, and, and God would keep them. How do you do this? How do you have confidence this week when you, when you get this sh- shattering news or things at work are rough, or it just feels like God's not there, you're not really sure what's going on. You have the confidence because you know this is true, and you, 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 you feed your soul the truth. You sit down and you read Isaiah 40 and 41 and 42, where it talks about the God who holds the universe in his hand. All the waters of the earth are in the palm of his hand. And that's the God... In Isaiah 42, who, who loves you, who's called you, who's keeping you. you. You feed your soul on these truths, and you let it build your confidence. And then he gives this prayer. After he introduces himself, he says, this is who I am, and this is who you are, and I'm going to call you to very big conflict here. Then Jude closes out with his introduction with, with a prayer. He says, may, may peace and love be multiplied to you with these calculations 
of, of assurance. He says, I, I want you, I want, I, I want mercy, which is just divine kindness. We, we don't get what we deserve. He, he's gushed about grace already in the first half. This is the only introduction in the epistles where they don't put grace in this. Because there's mercy. And he says peace, which is the idea of just putting together that which is broken. May mercy, peace, and love not just be had once, not just be given to you six years ago, or 25 years ago when you became a Christian, but may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is what you have. This is what you need. That would come to us over and over and over again. It's, it's, it's multiplied to you. So that when trials and troubles come, and sometimes they come in ripples, and sometimes they come in waves. And some of you are in ripples, and some of you are in waves, and some of you have been through tsunamis. And you're, 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 you're blown around. And every time that happens, Satan's wanting to snatch us away and lie to us. And James is saying, listen, remember who, you, who, remember who I am. There's some authority here. Re- remember who you are. You're, you're called, you're loved, and you're kept by God. And remember what you continually have, which is multiplied mercy, peace, and love. And so when the lie comes, which always comes for people, which is the lie that's always been there, did God really say this? That was the earliest lie that Satan used to the Adam and Eve. Did God say? That's the lie. It may not come in that phrase. For many of us, it, it comes like you go through a situation, you're in trouble, you, something gets revealed, and, and your thought is, wow, am I, am I really a Christian? Am I really in Christ? Am, am I forgiven? Can God hear me? Will God really listen? Did I, did I go too far this time? A, a, am I in a pit so far that I, that I, that I can't get out of it again? It, it's all the same lie of did God say? Is it really true that you're called? Is it really true that you're loved by God? Is it really true that you're being kept by God, is, is, there's, is there really mercy, peace, and love multiplied? Joseph in the Old Testament, remember Joseph? Just living his life, young teenage kid, his dad says, go help out your brothers. Gets to where his brothers are, they grab him, and they throw him into the pit. And, and, and he thinks he's going to die. Joseph doesn't know the rest of his story. As far as Joseph's concerned, his life is over. It's done. If Scripture had sound and pictures, you'd see a teenager in the bottom of a pit realizing that if I don't scratch my way out of here, and if I don't yell, no one's going to find me. Joseph probably didn't sit down and have a Bible study at the bottom of the pit. He's probably in the pit screaming, yelling, trying to claw out of it, scraping himself out of it, and somehow, eventually, his brothers come back, they pull him out, send him off to Egypt. His life starts to go good, doesn't it? He gets hired on at Potiphar's wife, 
Potiphar's house comes great. Things are going well. He gets lied to about. It's thrown into a prison for 10 years. When was Joseph in the worst part of his life? I think Joseph in the worst part of his life was when he was in the pit. The first pit. Because it seemed like there was just absolutely no hope in the first pit. But at the end of Joseph's life, when everything took place, he saves the world, and his brothers come to him, and they, they don't ask for forgiveness. They're, they're afraid they're going to get killed. Joseph says to them, you meant it for evil for me, but God meant it for good. Your situations that you're going through, whatever you've been dealing with, if you're a Christian and you're, you're struggling, listen, you say, well, man, I, I became a Christian, and, and things aren't getting better, Paul. Things seem to, seem to get worse. I seem to struggle more. The reality is nothing's really changed. The, the situation may be more complex. It was more complex the situation with Potiphar's wife and Joseph than the pit. The situation may be a little more comple- complex, but it's not any more complicated. At the bottom of the line, you are either secure in God or you're not. You're either going to trust in God or you're not going to trust in God. And you're secure in God. That's what Jude is telling us. You are secure in God. The same is true. If you are in Christ, you have mercy, you have peace, and you have love that will continually be multiplied to you. It's not going away. This is what we have. So our challenge is just to see what we have, see the concerns, but have absolute confidence. Your situations might get more complex, but they're not any more complicated for God. And he says, this is who you are, so keep trusting Christ. Do you see how a little letter can bring great hope? Don't despise little things. Keep coming and hope in God. Let's pray.